Welcome to the latest edition of City Parents Talk. I'm Anna Richards from City Parents, and today I'm pleased to be joined by Simon Kettlewell. Simon is a stay-at-home dad who's cared for his four children, raising them, and an award-winning author of various books, including Eternity Leave. Eternity Leave is loosely autobiographical and inspired by his experience of raising his four children. Simon, thank you so much for joining me today. Let's start by please telling our listeners a little bit about yourself and about Eternity Leave, which I've thoroughly enjoyed reading. Good morning, Anna. I looked after our children for, well, still look after them in a way for the last 20 years. Prior to that, I worked in the health service in general management and ran community services in Southampton. I then went to work in Eastern Europe, helping to reorganize their mental health services around some of the long-stay psychiatric care organizations but it really was in the late 90s early 2000s a human rights issue and so that was a a pretty extraordinary experience and when I came back I decided to take a bit of a break from the health service and we had our first child first daughter and we decided that I would be the main carer for for the foreseeable future there was no conversation really about how long that would be it turned out to be 20 years so the second half of my career was looking after the children i've written a few novels all sorts of different things a thriller contemporary books one about a menage a trois slightly older characters and eternity leave was a book that i'd started writing a column for a magazine in norfolk and suffolk area and i was really searching around for a story and it was my daughter that suggested, well, why don't you write about having looked after the kids for 20 years? And I thought, well, it might just be a bit dry. But unlike a lot of the books written by mums, I thought that I would do it, both writing about the younger years, but also what it is like living with teenagers. And once I started to write, the adage of write what you know really is true. I had a lot to say. And I wrote it as a novel because I felt that I wanted to be sensitive about a lot of people I'd met. But I wanted to be also true to a lot of the things that have happened, what I felt like for me, feelings of isolation, self-esteem, and I found myself writing something blisteringly honest, really. And so it's a novel written in the style of a memoir, and I would say to anybody that's read it or reading it is, you can read me in it. I don't think that would be unreasonable. And so Eternity Leave was born, uh, like my children, (laughs) the fifth child, I suppose. That's a great introduction to Eternity Leave. I suppose the main premise of what makes this book really interesting is of course your family setup has really broken a traditional mold. I remember in my own experience before I had children, you know, my husband and I had fairly sort of similar pressure, similar salary, similar working hours in our jobs. My the team I worked with was fairly balanced between men and women. And suddenly I had a baby and went along to playgroups and things and there's women everywhere and you realize how different that world is and how the primary caregivers are are largely still women and it was quite a shock for me what was that like for you I mean in some ways you're just another parent learning all that we learn as we have children but what was that like breaking that mold how did that decision play out and what was it like being a man in a very female world I talked about this in the book because it was a very important moment for me when I did have to finally walk through the the doors of a preschool and a nursery and be with the children when they're very small as you will know you have to stay with them and you're right I walked into a world of women but I'd also walked away from a well-paid and senior job where I had a a lot of control over what I did and influenced a lot of things and of course when you're looking after little children you don't influence anything it becomes a negotiation uh, of trying to do the best for them, keeping them on the straight and narrow. And you're right, when I went into this, the first preschool, it was 
exclusively women, and I immediately felt on the back foot, because when you see a woman with a child, there is a natural nurturing process during the, the nine months of uh, coming to the birth. A woman does adjust and adapt. My partner and I have discussed this a lot, because by the time our first daughter was born, she was prepared in a way that I simply was unprepared and it was a bit of a shock you know you suddenly handed this child and we had six months before finally that day arrives when my partner went off to work and I was left at home and that's when I went into this world of women and two elements one is that I felt woefully inadequate per se and secondly seeing all these women who had formed informal groups and again there were quite a number of women from professional backgrounds equal opportunities to their partners but it had either by default in many cases or unquestioning decision, a conversation that never really took place. And immediately I felt that I was exposed, that I almost needed to explain why I was there, that I hadn't stumbled into this because my life had fallen apart. I'd made a decision that for a while I would take a break. But I wanted almost to say that, to say, look, hang on a minute, don't judge me. But I look back now, lots of women made real efforts to engage me, to make me part of it. But I think it was quite hard for them because they didn't know how to respond to this man that had walked in. And we live in a world where people are very suspicious. We had two other children, we had twins not long after. So I became a bit of the furniture then, really. You know, I used to stumble in, utterly exhausted with three children under the age of two. And of course, for many, that was more than they had. So I was really on the back foot then. I can imagine. That's a challenging age anyway to have three, but only two hands. I think it's an amazing achievement. You've touched on some really important points there. And one being your identity and self-esteem and constantly needing to explain that you're the primary caregiver of these children. What was that like for your self-esteem, for your sense of identity? I think it was particularly difficult. I'm not proud about this in the last few years. I don't really mind what people think because I'm reasonably able to articulate. And I don't think it took me writing a book, it almost felt that, okay, I'm going to use something that I'm already doing in writing to then justify what I've done for 20 years. But it's probably the most important story that I've written. But one of the issues for me is that my, my wife also, and as in the book, I decided not to disguise this, runs a large teaching hospital. So she was very public. And so what began really was people wanted to talk about her. And so that didn't help. We've never had an issue about the fact that I always felt that she would go on to achieve greater things and had a style and ability with health service that I didn't possess. You know, sometimes it is recognizing your strengths. And I'm not so much a negotiator and the world is very different now, of course, very political. So that was the first thing is that I came with this baggage that all I felt as a baggage that this person who was extremely successful. And here was I, you know, some kind of assistant, a bit like the gardening. And that was, I was very well aware that that was a big perception. I don't think that particularly affected my self-esteem. It was this sense that, as you will know, a lot of the work with little children is just hard graft. And it wasn't until I began to realise that you've got to start putting other things in, you've got to start to educate them and begin to repeat things over and over again and explain to them. And singing, I mean, God, the singing, that was a thing that nearly finished me. But I, I did find myself sinking because of isolation. I didn't feel that I had anybody else to talk to um, about what I felt. And there's no doubt my mental health was affected by it early on. But I also saw that with other women. On many occasions, women who had suddenly ended up with this little baby and sobbing because they were tired, they were alone, and as much as everybody pretended to be okay, and it was the pretense that was a big thing. I'm not so good on pretense. 
So, you know, people ask me how I am. If I'm not that good, I will say, look, I'm not that good. And usually that's not a response that people want. But in that environment, I did feel in a bit of a goldfish bowl that somehow my partner was doing this very important, very visible job. And I was doing this incredibly important job, of course, but it wasn't visible. And I'd gone from being very visible to being invisible. And I think it would be right of me to say I found that very difficult as a man. I saw the role models of other men, and I grew up as a teenager in the late 70s. So the model then was quite simply women looked after the children, and I was doing it the other way around. Interesting. You talked about your mental health. How did you find support, and how did you find your way through that? I began to be a, a social butterfly when it came to preschools. There were one or two that I really liked, and sometimes I was dropping one of the children, and I'd take the other two, and they would say, why don't you stay? We need your help. And I knew then that they recognised that some days I was just dragging my feet a bit. And I used to sometimes go to them. You're drawn to things that are helpful. And it was never spoken. In fact, I did talk to quite a number of mothers when I was writing the book because I wanted to try and get a reasonable balance. And I wished I'd asked them before. And they said, well, you know, sometimes we really saw you struggling. And so we were there and we did keep an eye. But interestingly, one or two people that I know that have read the book have said, why didn't you tell us? Why don't you tell us how isolated and lonely you were at the time? Because I saw it as a weakness. Everything I'd done in my life, and I think maybe being a man, and up against women, you know, women are amazing. I have three daughters and a partner who runs a big hospital and is often against gender issues. People will say, I didn't assume you'd be a woman doing this particular job, but women are incredible. And I've learned that. I probably went from a generation that always saw men at the vanguard. Well, I put a woman there every time. And so it's only latterly people say to me look actually some didn't realize how challenging it was and I think that would be the same for women as well as for me so that's how I tackled it I went to different places on different days depending how I felt and how the children were really the kind of engagement I thought they needed at that time. How has your reflection on men and women impacted your parenting of your three daughters do you think? Well we have a son now who's nearly 16 and he is I think different to some of the other boys and he has a sensitivity about him because the girls are very different, even though we have twins, they're non-identical, couldn't be more different. I really just became attuned to what girls wanted. You know, we went through the Barbie period. I found myself just finding it quite refreshing. The way that they grew up, their need for their independence and their privacy. And I felt sometimes a bit of an interloper into a world, young women particularly. And it's reached a stage now where they sometimes will talk to me about things. I think, oh, that's too much information. And increasingly, they will talk to their mum. You know, I often realise now I'm left out of conversations, but I was involved with everything. And I always considered it to be an incredible privilege because they trusted me completely to make them feel secure and safe. As I watched them grow, and I just learned about how girls grow up, boys are a bit more straightforward. You know, with my son, I can see myself at that age, you know, you can't tell him anything, but he continues to surprise you know, and he communicates. The girls are much better at communicating. They would be very straight and they would tell me what they wanted. And I learned, I mean, I learned a huge amount. And now we have three girls who will not take any truck from anybody in terms of gender inequality. And I think, well, did I have some impact on that? Uh, Because I didn't engage. I didn't want to impose on them the sort of stereotypes that I grew up with, that I witnessed around me. And as a consequence, it impacted on me. I think I'm a very different person than I would have been and the peers that I grew up with. Very interesting, thank you. One of the moments in the book that I found particularly poignant and moving was when Bridget, the mother in the book, 
goes back to work for the first time. I think it's an incredibly moving moment and that feeling that I'm sure many of our members will have experienced or may experience in the future when they're either the, the person returning to work or being on their own with a baby for the first time. Can you tell us more about that moment? We had six months. I think I described it as six months of joy, you know, wall-to-wall parenting, one small child. We went out a lot. We really resolved right from the start because my wife had a good birth. It, she was well. And so we cracked on straight away and it felt fairly seamless. And I was renovating a house, which I was more confident in doing than I was certainly looking after a child, because you can learn that a bit more exponentially. But when she came to leave, it was such a sudden thing because we had the weekend and then it, I'm sure it was a Monday. And there was that moment, you know, that realisation that she was driving off and that hadn't happened. We should probably have done that during the six months. She should have gone out for a couple of days and left me. But the issue I felt more than anything was the feeling of her guilt. That has always been there. And I would say to any parents thinking about it, do not underestimate what that means, certainly for a woman. And I've always been at pains to try and recognise it. I haven't always. I mean, sometimes when I've been utterly complaining when she's coming up, how terrible it was, she would immediately say to me, well, hang on a minute, you know, you've got them all day. I think I did say in the book that, you know, obviously I had to pretend I was living in paradise 24-7. But it was her guilt that was a, a big thing. It was a huge decision for her. It was logical for us at that time. And I saw it as perhaps a transient thing that I would go back. Events as they were, I didn't go back. We had twins and then that carried on. But that particular moment, I think I couldn't really assuage her guilt. So I was trying to resolve something I couldn't resolve. But not only that, I felt a complete fraud. She was going trusting me and I felt, crikey, you're leaving your child with somebody who doesn't really know what they're doing. And that was a very sobering moment. The guilt thing has never gone away for her. And I think whether it's greater for women or not, I don't know, but she's always put in 100% when she's come home from work. She doesn't delay, she gets in, gets on with it. She will get home and often when she has been late, because her job does flow into the extremes of the day, she finds that very difficult. Even now, she wants to be here and with them. And that's been a huge strain. I can imagine. You said you felt like a fraud. Your description in the book was someone claiming to play musical instruments and then being asked to perform at Wembley. I love that and I can certainly relate. Towards the end of the book, the narrator visits a friend who has dementia and we hear a lot from our members about the pressures of the sandwich generation of having elderly relatives or friends to care for as well as the younger children. Did you have much experience of that and did you come across that amongst the other women and maybe men that you talked to? Well, I think it wasn't a family I came across that didn't have some either external or internal issues they had to deal with, which piled on top of the strains they already had, you know, job losses, an ill elderly relative. My mother's in her 90s now and has been reasonably healthy, but she's now moved down to be reasonably close to us because she was less able to cope. And there was a problem because when she was ill, when our girls were really young and the arrangements we had to make in order for me to be able to go up and be with her, bring her back down and stay for a few days. And my wife has always said we can manage these things, but I have never been, I felt comfortable about the extra load that I put on her. She'll often say, well, look, you need a break. Whenever I take a break, it just piled on for her. And so Harriet Rickard in the book is a bit of an accumulation of those things that I saw. I saw people live with extraordinary things. And whilst it was an exact copy, I do have a friend whose mother had dementia. She came to live with them because they thought that was the best idea when they had very little children. It was an utter nightmare, but he didn't want to put her in a, a nursing home. And so there was huge strain on them. And strain that I also saw when 
particularly one of the partners worked away. So somebody that I knew had three children and her husband had to work away. And I once said to her, I said, are you coping? She said, well, it's really, really hard. And she's somebody who I've always considered to be incredibly capable. For her to say that, I thought, well, this must be really bad because she looked exhausted. Uh, and of course, where do you go when you're ill? You'll know as a mother, in the mornings when you don't always feel so well, you get up and you get people that complain about it. They call it man flu and I'll take to their beds. Well, I, you know, if I've had man flu, I've had the flu, but unfortunately I wasn't able to go to bed. So yeah, there's no space for that. I think also recognition, whether it's dementia, whether it's physical illness, you know, families are not just that nuclear part of it. They're parents, grandparents, and grandparents, of course, get older and all the things that come with that. And where does the responsibility fall to? It falls to their children. And I say to my children, you know, just lock me up somewhere when the time comes. But the reality is they won't do that. You know, they'll feel some responsibility. And I will feel bad about that because you don't bring them into the world to then give them a burden. You know, life's challenging enough as it is. Absolutely. And then conscious that a majority of our members are working parents, we're not exclusively working parents, but we are largely, you've got a huge amount of experience of parenting. Any particular pieces of advice, any reflections, any thoughts that you'd like to share with us on parenting in general? Well, there's one particular thing I was thinking about this before we came on, which is about a conversation. When you begin, when you have children, there are some conversations that I would suggest people have. I've been asked many times, would I do it again? And I think I'm entitled to two answers to this. Both of them, the answer is the same, which is yes. Because I look back now through all my memories. I have all those I wouldn't have otherwise had. Starting out, I was utterly naive. So I had no idea what I was going into. So I said yes, and I would be daft enough to say yes again. I think that I would never advise somebody to do it. Somebody said, well, what's your view? Should we do it? I simply wouldn't take that risk. It is something that you have to really be able to test out between a pair of you. Fiscally, sometimes it just makes logical sense. But in our situation, that wasn't absolutely black and white. I'd only been out of my career for a short while. And for a couple of years, I could have gone back pretty much to the level I went in. And I was tempted. And I was tempted often by the pressure and how hard it was. But I didn't ever feel that actually I needed to be going back if I wasn't really helping the situation. And I think that conversation right at the beginning uh, with some reviews on, on how you do it, because people will ask me whether I'm a working dad. Well, yeah, <laughs> I have been a working dad and I've done 16 and 18 hour days and longer at times. But of course, I've also had another career, a writing career, which has been able to take second place. But there are ways of means of doing it. But I would say if you can do home care for your children and use other facilities, it, I do think your children benefit from that. They have a, an anchor and an anchor in a world like it is today is really important. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Simon. I've so enjoyed hearing all about you and reading the book, which I'd certainly recommend. It's called Eternity Leave and it's available on Amazon for anyone who would like to read it too. And thank you everyone for joining us today. You can find out more about City Parents at cityparents.co.uk. You can follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter or Facebook and you can stay tuned for more from City Parents Talk coming soon. Thank you and goodbye.